Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. Retail bankruptcies are booming in America. More than 300 retailers have filed for bankruptcy so far this year, according to data from bankruptcydata.com. That's up 31% from the same time last year. Most of those filings were for small companies, the proverbial mom-and-pop store with a single location. But there are also plenty of household names on the list. Chapter 11s are on a record pace, with more than 15 filings in just the first six months of this year. Some estimates are more than 8,000 stores closing their doors by the year end. Most of these retailers are suffering from the same thing, a shift away from traditional storefronts to online shopping. So the initial question uh, for today is, what's behind the bloodbath in retail? Is it just the ease of commerce and the so-called Amazon effect, or are there changing demographics and lifestyle changes uh, from customers as well? Luckily, we have two experts in the retail space to help us discuss. Uh, Amir Agam is a Senior Managing Director at FTI Consulting in Los Angeles. He's a member of the firm's corporate finance and restructuring team with more than 17 years of experience advising companies undergoing significant transitions, including service and interim management positions such as CFO and CRO in a number of diverse situations, particularly in the retail space. Brad Sandler is the co-leader of the Creditors Committee practice in the Wilmington office of Pachelski, Stang, Zeeland Jones. He has substantial experience representing debtors, committees, acquirers, and other significant parties in complex reorganizations and financially distressed situations, both in and out of court. Brad's recent committee representations in retail cases include The Limited, Aeropostale, and Sports Authority, among others. So welcome to you both, and thanks for joining us today on ABI Podcasts. Thanks, Sam. Well, let's um, go back to my first uh, kind of thought here about from your perspective as uh, people who are uh, brought in uh, often uh, perhaps too late in the game uh, to try to uh, save a, a retail situation. What's what's behind the um, the growth in retail filings uh, over the last year? Uh, Brad, can I start with you? Sure, absolutely. Um, and again, thanks uh, for having me today, Sam. I, I appreciate it. So, uh, you know, the, the, the retail environment, first of all, it's, it's really been challenging. I think you can go back to the really the Great Recession, right, um, where it started with decreased disposable income, um, and then that was immediately followed, um, actually simultaneously and immediately followed by, I think, structural changes in the industry, arising really, I think, from changes in technology and changes in consumer behavior. Um, on top of, of all of this, you know, certainly over the last, um, you know, five to ten years, um, many retailers uh, ended up being owned by private equity firms uh, that had placed substantial debt on the retailers. And, you know, with, without getting into, you know, the kind of the, the philosophical debate whether you know that's good or bad. Uh, the the reality is between all of these factors that I mentioned, um, you know, it, it's created the, the the perfect storm. Um, as, as I think you noticed uh, or mentioned, there's been a you know a, a bunch of uh, bankruptcies, retail bankruptcies that have filed this year. Uh, certainly, some of the more you know. 
recognized names are BCBG, Payless, uh, Gymboree, Group 21, True Religion, Toys R Us, you know, etc. And then you have a, a whole bunch of that are either stressed or, or distressed. Um, Claire's, 99 Cent Stores, Nine West, J. Crew, etc. You know, a lot of people will point to Amazon as being the prime disruptor, and certainly Amazon is a disruptor, but I think the story is is much, much bigger than that. Um, you know, online shopping has, has changed with easy return policies. Uh, that's made it essentially risk-free for uh, consumers to go out and buy, certainly, um, apparel, and there's less of a need for them to, and perhaps even a desire, to go to the bricks and mortar uh, stores. Mobile shopping has made it easier. Um, consumers now are looking for an experience. Um, their priorities have changed. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're shifting away from apparel to, you know, certainly the millennials buying um, electronics and, and, and frankly, other experiential type uh, uh, activities, uh, including as, as, as simple as just going out to restaurants. Uh, and then, you know, the, the last thing that I mentioned is the, you know, the, the tremendous amount of debt, which I, I think we'll probably get into a, a little bit more um, as we as we talk. But, um, you know, you look at, for example, Payless that went into bankruptcy with, you know, $850 million of, of debt, $350 million was was because of a dividend recap. Uh, Toys R Us, you know, has a whopping five point two or five point three billion dollars that came from a from an LBO. Um, these companies certainly aren't unique. Uh, Wet Seal, BCBG, Jimbury, True Religion—they all arise the same way. And uh, you know, this has also created a challenge for these retailers that are by nature in a cyclical industry. And they haven't been able to invest in CapEx. They haven't been able to, um, uh, for many of them, build a sufficient online platform. And, and more importantly, they don't have the liquidity to you know, weather the structural changes that are occurring right now in the retail industry. And I think that's created the perfect storm. Right. Amir, do you see it that way, too? You're almost a millennial, by the way. So, I mean... <laughs> uh, I think I've got a little distance between them and me. But I, I, look... <laughs> I think generally, um, you know, Brad's hitting a lot of the, the key themes. You know, we all see this, right, in our lives. I, I came home a couple of weeks ago, and my six-year-old explained to me that he had spent all of his accumulated life savings, which was about $20 on walkie-talkies. Yeah. And he said he bought the ones on Amazon after looking, you know, around because they were less expensive and better qualities than, you know, than all his other options. And I think, and you know, we see it. My, Sam mentioned the ordering of clothes, right? I've seen that in my household, too. It's very easy to order clothes online. If you want to return them, they give you a label to send it back. Um, it, you know, people shop in just a fundamentally different way, and that's going to probably continue to accelerate. 20 years from now, when my son has more than $20 to spend, uh, his shopping habits are probably going to be radically different than what ours were like when we were his age, and, and they'll continue to evolve maybe in ways that we can't, entirely predict. So, you know, you have these um, micro type of things that you can see that then add up to these, these big trends. And again, there's nothing really shocking about this, but we've all seen that e even in a kind of recovering strong environment, uh, in-store sales on a macro level grown at a low rate, while, you know, the online sales growth is in, you know, the, the middle of the teens. Um, and I think we're approaching something like $400 billion in, in online sales overall. 
and and that's you know created big changes that make it hard. You know, I do think uh, the the core of it starts there. It starts with Amazon, which it, uh, represents a significant portion of that online sales and has a lot of uh, ability to invest and explore different avenues to grow, including. Uh, the recent purchase of Whole Foods, right? Um, and and that, that's changed the model. Then you got to look at you know some some sectors that we've seen are more vulnerable to this: apparel, sporting goods, and just overall. I think what it's resulted is in a change in the view of how retailers can perform, and that kind of recalibrates what cash flow you think they can generate and how much debt they can, uh, you know, they can support and, and their values, even for the non-distressed retailers. You know, I think it's it's affected how they're valued and seen. Is that uh, is that one of the differences from say prior periods of um, uh, high retail bankruptcies? Um, you know, even say you know twenty twenty years ago, where you know they're Federated and Kmart and Caldor. Um, uh, is is it the the difference being um, the explosion in the in the technology and the online experience? Yeah, I, I think so, and I think it creates uh, uncertainty. I mean, and Brad Judge said as well, consumers are looking for something a little different, a little more experiential. They're, mm-hmm. they're more capable of uh, going to different options for their purchasing. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty about where it's going when you talk to people in the market saying, well, look, you know, what is what is a safe retail investment? You know, where do you, uh, where, where can you rely on the companies to hold their ground? And that creates a very different environment where, you know, you can't just identify your poor performing stores or reject those leases. And, and, you know, if it was just a debt issue, you could solve that much more easily, right, by, by fixing the capital structure right. in court, out of court. Uh, but when you have a, a fundamental shift in the business of this magnitude, um, then I think it's much more difficult to figure out. Uh, what, what you do, and I think that's one of the reasons. You know, in addition to bankruptcies, we've seen a lot of liquidations uh, right. and, and Chapter Twenty Two. People right. have gone in and then come out and, and, and gone in again. And I think people are having a hard time, um, you know, understanding and getting comfortable with, with who uh, will be the survivors and, and the ones that succeed in this environment. All right, Brad. Let's drill, drill down on that a little bit. Uh, Amir just mentioned the rise in uh, uh, liquidations. So cases today tend to be. Fast sales under Section 363 or liquidations, uh, I think since uh, 2006, almost half the retail 11s have ended up in liquidations, which is a much higher percentage uh, than the non-retail space. So uh, if you had to uh, assess from your experience um, over many years, what's, what's behind that? Is it all because of the 2005 amendments or are there other factors? It, you know, I, I think the 2005 amendments have something to do with it, uh, but I think there are also um, other factors, Sam. And, and you're right; the, the you know the vast majority of the retail bankruptcies are are liquidations. Um, and you know, if you look at the the cases, you, you can kind of break them into two categories: uh, the cases that go in with some type of Prearranged uh, transaction between the the lender group and and the and the debtors um, usually come out as a reorganization, um, and most of those transactions that we've seen certainly um, recently have involved a substantial delevering of the of the business. Um, I'll also note that those businesses. Uh, 
tend to have strong brands and uh, be fundamentally sound businesses. A lot of the other retailers that we've seen uh, liquidate, uh, they were um, not necessarily the leaders in their niche area, um, or they uh, did not have a prearranged case. Um, And so they ended up uh, really spiraling down and, and liquidating and, and the um, I'll say one of the, the probably one of the, the leading factors is that uh, since 2005 of course the amendment uh, involving 365 d4 has uh, imposed a uh, statutory deadline of 210 days right. for, for a debtor to right reject their their leases and ABLs um, over the the years have gotten, I think, more uh, conservative, um, and they want to get out of Dodge as fast as possible. Um, and what they generally do is they they kind of count backwards from the 210 day uh, deadline, and they want to make sure that you know they have um, say 60, 90 days uh, to do their liquidation. Um, so that, you know, they don't come up against that deadline. Um, obviously, there are other factors that, that drive the, the, the timing of a, of a bankruptcy. You know, maybe the holiday season, back to school. Uh, there may be, you know, other issues like the administrative burn or, you know, liquidity and whatnot that will affect that, that timeline. But, um, you know, I think it, it's really, it was the... Um, confluence of the change in the ABL's um, kind of philosophy about cases and the and the um, amendment to 365. Um, I think that's really the, the, the two driving factors that have created fast liquidations in retail um, if there's not some type of pre-negotiated arrangement. So, Amir, when we, when you come in as a financial advisor, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, and we can talk about uh, debtor, debtors' tendency to delay um, uh, the important decisions that they that they need to make here. What is your what is your goal? Is it to um, uh, do kind of a balance sheet cleanup, or are you trying to uh, fundamentally fix? Um, the uh, the brand or the or the business uh, as a going concern, or 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 does it have to be both? I think it does somewhat have to be both. I mean, f- fundamentally, you know, obviously, if the balance sheet needs to be cleaned up, it, it needs to be cleaned up, and there's tools for that. And I'd include in that sort of the off balance sheet, you know, the, the leases, the uh, you know operating leases the company has, but but fundamentally. You know, when you think about it as a financial advisor, what you need to be doing is helping the company build value. Uh, obviously, you know, it, it, it's complicated, and, and you you know, need to be mindful of uh, you know the different stakeholders and duties that the company has responsibility to. But the um, you know usually the right thing is to do the things that will increase the value of the business, and that means generally fundamentally fixing it. In a way that you know will increase the future performance, future cash flows in the long term. Now, it, it doesn't always mean that way uh, because, as Brad mentioned, 
that, uh, you know, a number of these have gone into liquidation. And, and just to, to sort of circle back to your prior question, because I do think that, that the amendments uh, for the BAPCPA have pushed towards quicker cases. You know, but as I think our point, I think there's generally been a trend over the years to faster cases and pre-negotiating deals and people not wanting to stay in Chapter 11 because of the cost and the reputational issues for very long. Um, and I think he's exactly on point that the combination of the 200-day, 10-day limit and the um, ABL lender's concern about starting uh, going, uh, you know, going out of business sales in time to effectively liquidate the inventory have really created, you know, a sort of 100-day window to figure out what you're going to do. I'm not sure if that results in the additional liquidations. Uh, and I had tip to my colleague, John Yazzo, who's done a lot of research for us on this, uh, because I think fundamentally it comes down to the value. You know, the what is the value of this business as a going concern? What What can you get it to be? for people to believe that the future cash flows will be, and how much is that worth. And the hard part is that there, people have also gotten very good at extracting value out of the liquidation processes. The sales are run, there's professionals that can run the sales very well. The uh, the process is fast, the limit costs, and they, they tend to know what they'll get, um, and, and so they can bid up the uh, the liquidation value of, of your you know everything that's in your stores. Uh, and you've got to contrast that to... An environment where the, you know the future cash flow situation can be difficult because you've got pressures from uh, increasing competition amongst other retailers fighting for the same dollars that the online retailers are are, are fighting for. So I think you know fundamentally, um, I think we found there there hasn't been that much of a difference in how many li- retailers liquidate as a percentage before the BAPCPA and after, but these pressures and the fact that you've got um, you know, liquidation values competing against a very difficult operating environment really make it critical to get an operating fix that can establish that there's real value in the business in order for it to get going. Because if it was just balance sheet, it would be accomplished and they'd find a way to, in most cases, they'd probably find a way to get that, that going concern value. How about the uh, relative um, uh, leverage or bargaining power, if you, if you will, between uh, suppliers uh, to a retailer, the, the companies that are providing the inventory that is valuable, um, and um, a retailer that's uh, in in trouble. Um, what? Uh, um, how how has that uh, affected uh, when the case is filed? And um, particularly as you're going into a uh, if you're a retailer and you're going into a holiday season, you know it's very important that you obviously have sufficient inventory, um, but there may be vendors who aren't getting paid. Yeah, trade credit support is critical. That's also, I think you're right, that's something that's pushed the cases to get resolved faster and and to move faster. The interesting thing, a lot of the retailers I look at, they don't have some of the traditional um, breaks in that, you know, a lot of the maturities still have a few years to go on the formal debt, um, and the covenants often aren't very restrictive. But on the flip side, Losing the support of the trade vendor community that services them can lead to, you know, a, a, a death spiral type of situation. So that's something that companies manage very closely. And I think, you know, we've seen situations where, uh, unable to keep that support as the terms suddenly tighten into what's already not a great liquidity situation and essentially forces, forces a filing to happen maybe, uh, without full preparation or, uh, faster than they would have liked. So how do you convince those, uh, trade vendors that um, the future is going to be better than the past for them. You come in, you're in a distressed situation, 
they maybe want to pull the plug. They maybe uh, you know want to get whatever they can out of a out of a fast uh, hundred day sale, like you like you said. But your goal is to uh, keep the thing going. How do you how do you persuade them that um, that the, the the next season is going to turn it around? Yeah, and with the caveat that. You know, relationships vary across industries and specific, you know, vendors, obviously. But but generally speaking, I think people understand the issues facing the industry, at least at this point. And anybody that's selling into the industry, anybody that's leasing space to the industry understands what's going on and they have a window to this. So it's not as if it's some unique problem or secret issue. And I think you, you, you've got to be forthright about it. And address your issues head on, but and also have a plan. Essentially, you know, they most vendors, I think, would like to find a way to believe that you're, you know, without exposing themselves, that, that there's a business and a future customer. Uh, but you, you've got to be able to explain to them, you know, what steps you're taking, how things are going to be different, uh, and how, how it's going to be, you know, how it's going to work, and do it in this, you know, somewhat forthright manner. Good. Yeah, and 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 Sam, I, I would add to that, and I, I think I think it mirrors. Um, exactly right, and and I think one of the ways to uh, demonstrate to the trade community that the company is going to come out and that they should come out of bankruptcy and that they should continue to support the company is really, you know, it, it, in the ideal world, uh, to make sure that the debtor has, you know, a sufficient dip facility, uh, that they, you know, potentially have an RSA, um, uh, Critical vendor motion, um, you know, the, the, really the, those three things together um, show the the vendor community that there's money to get paid uh, during the bankruptcy, and uh, with a you know an RSA, um, it, it sends the signal that the company is going to continue as a going concern and come out of bankruptcy. Uh, the the other thing that I'll say, um, at least from the uh, committee side. Uh, that um, we generally try to show to the trade community is that the reorganized ent- entity is is going to be well capitalized. Uh, their capital structure will be fixed, and that they're going to have competent management going forward uh, with a business plan that makes sense. Um, and I think if you can, you know, the, the, the company can show um, at the time of the filing that they have money to pay, and they have a plan to get out of bankruptcy, um, along with kind of a, a business plan uh, and and a model of what they're going to look like post-bankruptcy, I think that'll keep trade credit flowing. And, and as we all know, there's no way a retailer can survive yeah. um, without trade credit. So it, it's just absolutely vital to make sure that that trade credit flows. And I, I think that's, you know, with, with showing the you know the money up front, the plan going forward that makes sense to trade, I think that's the way to, to um, keep trade credit flow. Understood. So another important constituency, and maybe this is the last area we'll 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 touch on, um, are the landlords, the shopping centers, the mall owners, and investors. Uh, they are obviously adversely uh, affected by the decline in foot traffic and all the rest. Um, uh, as many of the retailers that both of you have mentioned have filed or liquidated are the longtime staples of malls and, and shopping centers. So explain that dynamic uh, in the current environment and maybe how it's changed a little bit. 
the balance of power as big retailers uh, uh, initiate either rent negotiations or otherwise um, engage uh, with their uh, uh, with the shopping centers ahead of filing. It's like if we we need relief or or you're going to have a big empty space on your hands here. How is that? How is that balance of power working out? You know, it's interesting. Uh, I work with a lot of the major landlords. I don't represent them, but just through our committee practice and our, our debtor practice, um, we're, we're frequently working with the major landlords, as is um, Amir as well. And um, I guess from what, what we're seeing, there is still a reluctance by the major landlords to really engage in, I'll say, significant rent concessions pre-bankruptcy. Um, and just from, from talking to the uh, major landlords, whether it's, you know, Simon, Macerich, GGP, um, you know, uh, CBL, um, they seem to, you know, be much more willing to discuss, to discuss uh, concessions after bankruptcy. Um, you know, one can argue whether that makes sense or, or doesn't make sense. Uh, but, you know, in, in bankruptcy, I think they often are, are faced with um, the threat of rejection. And right. uh, certainly in um, Aeropostale, uh, one of the, the critical issues in, in that case uh, for the uh, at least the two major landlords um, uh, Simon and GGP is that they were facing losing um, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 229 stores at one time. And um, for Simon, I believe it was a $40 million, it would have been a $40 million a year hit. Um, and obviously that's, that's just in, in one year that has to be um, extrapolated out over time. Um, so that was really the incentive for uh, Simon and GGP um, to try to do something to save their stores, and and one of the ideas that you know we had from the committee side is to to see if they would be uh, willing to be an investor, which which ultimately they did. But um, you know, even in other bankruptcies where the major landlords are involved, and and um, you know what happened in Aeropostale is is I, I think. You know, at the time, people were thinking that would be a, a paradigm for, you know, uh, uh, retail bankruptcies going, mall uh, retail bankruptcies going forward. Um, I, I, I actually don't think that's the case. Uh, I think it, it was just, you know, everything aligned and, and it worked. Mm -hmm. um, in that case, I don't think it'll work in the, you know, the average uh, uh, mall based retail case. But um, I think that the landlords are, um, much more willing to talk concessions once the debtor files for bankruptcy, and uh, that's that's been my experience. And and Amira, you, you might have a different experience, but um, you know the 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 threat of rejection is an extremely powerful threat, and to lose a lot of stores at one time is um, you know very damaging to to some of the landlords. I, I think it's starting to shift a little bit, uh, just because the, the conversation's been had so many times, and the um, you, you know the threat of the bankruptcies has become, I think, uh, much more real. And if you can 
uh, paint the right picture for for the landlords. I, I think um, that's starting to shift. And, you know, the same thing in addition to rent reduction, I'd say the same thing for negotiated exits. Uh, you know, one, one point that I was thinking about when we were discussing about whether the issue is debt versus operations is, you know, you have companies like BB, which was a woman, is a woman's clothing seller, uh, that, uh, was not encumbered by debt, but chose to exit all its stores and just negotiate its way out of it with the landlords, um, you know, recently. And, uh, it effectively do that. And I've seen, um, you know, prior to a formal restructuring too, people get some more headway with landlords on rent reductions, but also on exits. Um, I think a lot of it depends on who you are, uh, you know, which landlords and which type of properties. There's been, in malls, there's a big difference between how the A malls are doing and the B and C. Right. Uh, you know, people are tending to invest in those, you know, the, the A malls. They're becoming more dominant. Sometimes they can have to you know, triple the sales per square foot. And they're bringing in more experiences and tenants that are going to draw people in. Uh, whereas, you know, there's certain malls that, that I think really are starting to get less attractive to retailers, um, it, you know, where it's much more problematic. And so I think all that's going to vary, uh, based on who the landlord is and what the, what the location is. And, you know, probably a certain portion of, uh, you know, retail space is going to have to be repurposed. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a, a, a fair point. And in terms of looking at the, you know, kind of the, the, the level of mall, I think a, a, you know, if you're looking at, an A mall, there's going to be less of an incentive to, I think, negotiate. Um, and certainly to the extent that there are rent concessions, they'll, they'll probably be percentage-wise significantly smaller than if you're looking at, uh, for example, a you know a, a, a low B or, or C level mall. Got it. Would you both agree that um, what we've seen lately, meaning, say, this year even, uh, is going to continue in the near term? I think it is going to continue uh, in the near term, and you know, it's it's if you look at just about any industry that has uh, gone into bankruptcy, and uh, you know, every decade there's you know usually two or three industries that um, become distressed. Uh, you know, right now is retail's turn, and and I think retail will you know at least over the next uh, you know. 12 to 18 months, I think, will still be a predominant uh, player in, in bankruptcy. You see it that way, Amir? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with um, with Brad. The, uh, I think, A, you've got a number of you know, debt maturities that are going to come up, and, be, and it, it may be difficult to, to refinance a good number of them. And then I think the operational trends are going to continue. I think we're going to see more sales shifting online. There will be retailers that will be successful, but that's that's got to shake out there. I don't think we're done. And I think the big question everybody's trying to wrestle with is, like, how many fewer stores will there be five or ten years from now? And, then you know, what are the characteristics of the ones that survive versus the ones that don't in each subsector? But I think um, I, I think there's definitely more shakeout before we, uh, we get done with it. I predict you'll both continue to be busy. You're about to go there. <laughs> we hope so, Sam. <laughs> That's uh, that's all the time we have uh, for today. But I want to thank our guests, uh, Amir Agam and Brad Sandler, for joining us. And we thank our audience for listening. There are more than 200 podcasts archived at our website, abi.org slash newsroom slash podcasts. And so until next time for the American Bankruptcy Institute, this is Sam Giordano saying good day.